Well, welcome again to Monday's Experts on this Monday morning. And as always, it's an opportunity for us to find out a story behind the name. My guest this morning, well, we've seen her name pop up in form guides here in New South Wales, and she's had success not only at provincial level and country level when she first arrived, but she's been a regular feature as well on certain Saturdays, especially at a lighter weight. She, of course, is a New South Wales female jockey, Alicia Collett, and she joins us on Monday's Experts. G'day, Alicia. Hi, Dave. It's good to be be here. How are you? I'm well, mate. Um, now, do you get nervous talking about yourself? I always ask my guests that. How are you when you, you start to reflect on your career in life? I get very nervous. Um, it's just something that I'm not used to talking about. Um, trying to sell myself or trying to talk about myself, it's just one of the worst things I could think about. <laughs> oh, well, you've got 40 minutes to endure here, so hopefully by the end of it you do enjoy yourself. Let's go back. So you were born in New Zealand. What part of New Zealand were you born in? So I'm from a little town called Pukekohe in New Zealand. It's probably about half an hour out of Auckland. And your family, they were obviously involved with racing? Yeah, so we've generation after generation. Dad was a jockey. He was a jump jockey. Mum was a jockey. Uncle was a jockey. Auntie was a jockey. Um, there's just, you know, there's heaps of generations of us. And, I mean, Dad's gone on to train. Uh, we've got... Really, my sister was a jockey. Um, Jason rides. My cousin's a jockey. It's just there's a whole lot of us. Yeah. So from from a young age, do you remember the first time uh, you you know have you got that first memory of the horse? Was it a, maybe a race you were watching with your um, with your family? I'm presuming your dad was riding when you were early days of just being born, or you know when you could sort of start to absorb stuff. Do you remember when that point was? I think there was heaps of memories. We always we're heavily involved in the racing industry. I remember going to the races when I was four or five years old and watching dad's horses race. And we actually started working in the stables and we were about five doing the water buckets. Um, me and Jason used to put the buckets on a skateboard and roll them up to the, you know, to refill them in the bucket. And the two of us would, you know, sort of have to do that together because we were so small. Um, and even mucking out the boxes, we've done that from an early age. Probably one of the first memories was, I remember, obviously one of the highlights was going in the truck to the races with Dad. That was one of the main highlights. <laughs> Can't remember how the horses went, but I just remember it was a fun ride in. So it was always going to be the path you were going to take, or was there a, a point there maybe in school or elsewhere that you could have done something different? You didn't, you, or we sort of, not so much pressure from the family, but was it just inevitable you were going to be a jockey or be in racing? Um, there was, I... Probably it was more so I didn't want to become a jockey just because everyone else in the family was. And that was probably when I was about 15. And then I saw Jason uh, buy a new car and he'd been riding for about a year. And I thought, God, that's a nice car. And he goes, yeah, well, if you can ride, you can make money. And I thought, all right, here we go. This is what I'm going to do now. Um, But look, through, I've had a couple of injuries um, and I've had a, you know, every time I've sort of had a year off and it's been really good when that that has happened because it's given me an opportunity to do things and you know find jobs outside of the racing industry or you know work in other opportunities not just being a jockey in the racing industry so it's sort of mixed it up a little bit for me. All right so let's go back so when you were you know okay leading up to 15 what did you want to be What, what was if you didn't want to be a jockey what did you want to be? I actually was quite a good netball player and I thought this is my career path. I don't have to use my brain. 
Um, I was quite good at it. I thought, you know what, I could probably make a career of this. And then I realised it's not quite the same career as being a jockey, so that's when I changed over. It wasn't anything too intellectual at all. So how... how, how I guess high were you going up in the netball ranks? Were you playing? What do they have in New Zealand, like state or district, or what? what yeah, how good were you? Um, so you've obviously got your New Zealand team, um, and then I was in the rep team down below that. So I was sort of playing with people that were under eighteen when I was about fourteen. Uh, we went over wow. to Australia, over here. We competed um, national level. So yeah, I was sort of in that um, recreational team, trying to get to the next stage, the rep team. And, and we know netball's big in New Zealand, as it is here in Australia, but how did you get into netball? Was that something your mum played, or was it something you picked up from school? Something you picked up from school. All of us uh, kids in Pukekohe, we all, either we played netball on a Saturday morning, or the boys, they played rugby on a Saturday morning. And look, it's just something really enjoyed. Um, and we always, you know, every Saturday morning before we'd go to the races and help out, we'd always play netball in the morning. And it was just something I really enjoyed, and... I realised I had a little bit of ability at it, so I wanted to practice more. And look, the further I got, the more I enjoyed it. Are the family um, have they always been athletic? Um, like uh, you know, I know, for example, just from having conversations with you, like you love running, you love exercising, and obviously, you know, you need to be fit doing what you're doing as a rider. Is is Jason the same? Were your were your parents good athletes away from racing? Uh, hard to say. I don't know what mum and dad were like. Um, I remember Jason picking daisies in a rugby match one day, so I don't know if he was the most athletic at <laughs> rugby. But um, when it comes to sort of running and everything else like that, I know me and my sister were very sporty and very competitive. We yep. always would play tennis or anything we could. We'd always try to compete in it. What about that competitive nature between uh, you know your sister and your brother? Uh, I, I'm an only child, so I don't know, but I see how other families are, and you keep each other honest, don't you? You really do, and the best thing is you can bounce off each other with everything, like if you've got a, a problem or you want to learn something. Like for me growing up, when I very first started riding, I had a brother and sister who had already been riding for a couple of years each, and look, I'd ride a bad race and they'd hop in the car on the way home for the next two hours and they'd tell me what I did wrong and what I should do next time. So it was really nice having that support there and someone to learn from. And even though we're, you know, super competitive and I know out there we wouldn't give each other an inch, it was always nice to know afterwards that they're always going to help me. Yeah. Okay, so 15 years of age, uh, was it a conversation um, with mum, dad about becoming a jockey? It was actually quite funny. Um, I sort of had to – I'd miss a little bit of school um, through going to the races and helping out with mum and dad um, when they were short of staff a little bit. And I sort of thought, you know what, maybe I should just leave school when I think I was about 16 at the time. And I was like, I might just start race day riding. I might just do this. And I was coming into winter and I think the first thing dad said, you've got an issue. And I said, well, what's that? And he goes, well, you need to lose a little bit of weight. <laughs> so that was my first issue before I wanted to ride race day. Um but yeah, it was always inevitable. Like, how much weight? Like, you're, <laughs> like you're not a large person. What's he? What, what, so, what? Back then, I think it was four kgs off about fifty-four. So right. you wanted to be walking about fifty-two, and I was probably about fifty-seven. So, so you sort of had. <laughs> okay, okay. Because you would have had obviously you would have been quite fit already from the netball, but obviously you would have, I don't know, you probably been training differently for that particular sport than you would be for a jockey. 
Yes, you do. Completely different. And it wasn't until I started doing a few more early mornings and the rest of it, the weight started dropping off and I stopped eating, I don't know, McDonald's, my little $2 takeaway uh, McDonald's that I used to get all the time that it started really dropping off. And then I noticed I might be able to do this now. And uh, we used to go to the spring horse a lot and practice and do the extra sessions before I actually had a race day ride. And I think I only had probably about 10 trials before the race day ride, my first one. Uh, looking back now, I sort of wish I had a little bit more because my legs weren't the strong enough for the first couple of winter tracks, yep. you know, the heavy 10 tracks we cop in New Zealand. Uh, what about your first ride? Do you remember like it was yesterday? Can you vividly picture yourself there in the gates right now? No, I actually can't. And I... For some reason, I don't think I was very nervous. It just felt very unrealistic that I was out here and doing it. And for me, it didn't seem like a big deal because I wasn't really, really overly passionate. Um, from memory, it was on one of my favorite horses at the time. I think I ended up winning about nine or ten races on the horse. And wow. Look, I may have been barrier three and I may have got caught three wide. Um, but at the time, I wasn't too sh- I thought that was a good thing. I didn't quite realize that was bad. So... When I come in and realised it was bad, that's when I thought, okay, I've got to learn a little bit more here. Yes, you had to learn about, and that's amazing too. Like you, you've spent, you were spending time obviously around racing from you know since the day you could walk. So you still had to sort of pick up that sort of race knowledge and race sense. When you say that you weren't passionate about it at the start, so merely were you just going down that path just because you'd seen the car, you'd seen Jace get the car, and thought, oh yeah, okay, well I'll give this a try. And in the back of your mind, were you thinking, right, well I'll do this for a period, but then I'll move back to something else that was always in the back of the mind until I started getting sort of competitive like I am and realizing if I keep improving and showing improvement the results get better and I learned more about it all and I found it more interesting and yeah it was more when the competitive side kicked in I thought okay if I'm going to do this I don't want to be average I want to really try and improve and do better than I what I am at the moment you were apprentice, of course, to, to your father, Richard. Um, what was that like? I mean, I know that, uh, you know, it's funny. I live here in Sydney and my mum lives in Brisbane. And I love her to death, but, you know, I go back for a week and day three I'm thinking, oh, gee, she's into me. She's just into me. Was it was it difficult being apprentice to your dad because you do have, you know, you, you're with them 24-7 and you've got that personal relationship with them? It was. It was and it wasn't. Um he was he was always really tough on us, and he still is our toughest critic, and that's for certain. Oh, he'd be the first person to ring up and be like, "Well, that horse will sleep well tonight." You know, you've you've been caught full <laughs> wide in it. Um, so yeah, he is that person that will always make the comment. Uh, but as a boss, you know, he he was never easy on us either. He was always quite strict. Um, obviously, him being a jockey, he always used to try drum into us the right things to do. Um, but he was always a good father. For, figure as well um especially if he saw that us kids were getting you know were too tired or the little things he'd always try to look after us a little bit more you're having success you're riding winners and by the way we're chatting with alicia collett this morning on monday's experts um what about the trip to australia originally first time for chris waller how did that all come about Look, in New Zealand, uh, the apprentice school have a scholarship. So we have Auckland region, uh, Waikato region and the South region. And in the Auckland region, if you win apprentice of the year, you get a scholarship to come over to Chris Waller for two weeks and get some experience. So that's how it all planned out when I come over here. I think I may have only been 17 or 18 when I first come for the first two weeks. 
I, it was a little bit of an eye-opener. I haven't really watched much Australian racing before that, but I know Jason um, had it already come over the year before. Okay, and and what were your first sort of you know what were your first sort of thoughts of Sydney as a as a city and and I guess Australian then Australian riding and racing. Look, I was probably a bit young to make comment on any of it. Um, it was all overwhelming. Um, I'd just been out in the country for the past seventeen yeah. years. It was all a lot, uh, but I could tell that you know it was quite a bit bigger than New Zealand racing was. And when I first got here, I couldn't believe how quick everyone got into positions and how structured the racing was and how much faster the horses were that was the biggest one um and the early mornings as well they you know they were getting up at 3 30 here and we're used to getting up at five o'clock at home that was probably one of the main things i thought i was just tired the whole time <laughs> did, did you did did because obviously, you know, you, you said your competitive nature is jumping into it and like you, you get this opportunity then to come to Chris. Because obviously you see that step up in grade, so to speak, was there, an, again, that thought process in your mind thinking, oh, am I doing the right thing here? Should I be doing something else? Like, was, was those sort of things going through your mind? No, once I come over here and realised it was a good opportunity for an apprentice uh, in the city, I thought, yep, this is what I'm going to do and this is where I'm going to go now. Uh, When I first came over to Australia, I'd actually been riding in New Zealand for a year and a half and I'd actually ridden my claim. So basically, I had a year and a half of riding underneath my belt, but I had no claim and was riding basically as a senior, like against jockeys that have been riding for 20 to 30 years and having a 3kg claim over here again, it just made you know, sense to come over here and lose that claim and try to get the most out of my apprenticeship. So you go back to New Zealand after that two-week stint and did you have success when you went straight back because you sort of, you know, picked up a few things over here even even though it was a short period of time? I did and it was a, a big, big eye-opener. It made me want to be more professional and learn a lot more about the racing industry. Um, I, I think it was only... I was only home for a couple of months before I come back over to Chris. Um, I think that was always the plan once I'd come here and he'd sort of said, look, there's an opportunity here for you, um, especially uh, in the off-season uh, when the, the you know the main jockeys are going away and the claims are needed. So I'd only been back in New Zealand for a little bit before deciding to come back over here and give another go as an apprentice. And what about uh, your first Group 1 win? And what part of the journey was this on? So you came back, to, did you come back to Australia and then go back to NZ and, and try and position yourself there as, as a leading rider? It was an, in, it's, actually that's quite interesting. I, I've spent about a year here, but less than that as an apprentice. And then I went back to New Zealand and within the first two weeks, I had a race day fall and injured my knee. Um, I did an ACL, so I had surgery on that and I had a year and a half off, you know, race day riding and having anything to do with the horses. So... I went around Europe and did a few things that I wasn't able to do when I was younger because I was always working. So it was quite nice having that break. And when I come back into race day riding, uh, I come out of my apprenticeship quite quickly. Um, I'd only had the three years in apprentice. So I'd come out of that early and it really took a while to get going again just to build momentum, get the strength back, uh, just get the eye back in. It really took a while. And when obviously you got the eye back in... You ride consensus. Yeah, so we started building momentum and I was travelling everywhere all over New Zealand. I'd be riding six days a week, hopping in planes four or five times a week. And luckily enough, um, I had a really good supporter, Leo Malloy, an owner. Um, he's been fantastic to, through for me through my whole career. And 
obviously Stephen McKee at the time was training her and I'd had had success on her when obviously I was an apprentice. Um, I won a group three on her with 51 kgs and then the whole way through I was able to follow her um, and that was really nice and wasn't until I think it was the week before we'd had a couple of stakes winners that season already um, and the season was going really well and it wasn't a week before Stephen goes we're gonna you know put her in uh, the 2000 meter race and I thought okay that's that's great should be a really nice ride in this race that's fine with me and she got a stone bruise so we ended up racing her the week before at Tirapa which was an ideal lead up um, she hates going left-handed and then all of a sudden into the group one and we just wanted to ride her a little bit more conservative and a bit more quieter than normal because we'd always put her up on pace um, and she'd always seem to peak that last little bit so riding a little bit quiet with a hot tempo it really worked out well that day and what was that feeling like? Because I'm tip, I'm presuming that you had family on track that day as well. So, I mean, I mentioned before about your uh, first ride and, you know, the thought, you know, putting yourself there. Can you put yourself there back that day at Ellerslie when you won that group one? Does that, does that just feel like it happened yesterday? Yeah, it does, actually. It was probably one of the best feelings I've ever had in the racing industry. It, um, it was quite special. All my friends from home, they were there. The whole family was there. It was Boxing Day. It's probably one of the biggest days of the year for us uh, on the calendar. And I remember crossing the line first, and I thought, golly, I must have decked the whole field here. How have I won this? And I come back in, and I heard the siren go, but it wasn't for me, thankfully. <laughs> so, yeah, and then I remember coming in, and straight away, sister, brother, cousin, friends, they were all there cheering me on. It was just amazing. I don't think I've ever seen mum cry after a race or even – I think um, cousin, she was a little bit, you know, teary as well. So it was a really special day. Just How about yourself? There. How about yourself? Did you get emotional yourself? Maybe not in in public, but you know, when you had a time to reflect on it, how did you feel? Um, no, didn't get too emotional. I'm not that type of person. Um, but chuffed, very happy. <laughs> I'll take yeah. that. Very, very and- happy. Okay, so so we, we have that uh, Group 1 success, but as we know with the racing game, I mean, you can one week win a Group 1 and then next week without that momentum. So did you find that you had more momentum after that Group 1 win or was it back to the grind of just trying to find that horse? No, I was I was really fortunate that before the Group 1 win, I just started building up a lot of momentum in the six months prior to that where um, to some, there was one day um, one of the jockeys uh, got injured and I ended up picking up both of her two rides and like they both come out in one group twos and I got really fortunate where those leading up six months we had a lot of momentum um, and then through that whole carnival we I think I got four or five stakes winners over that carnival with the Christmas period and after that we just kept the momentum building. Yeah, that's fantastic. We're chatting with Alicia Collett this morning on Monday's Experts. All right, uh, the trip to Singapore. How did that come about? Because uh, you, is there anything I'm missing in the in between there of of New Zealand and Singapore? Was there? Did you have another fall or another injury? Um, no, I, I no. had a fall in Singapore. Um, right. But going into Singapore, obviously, you have to apply for Singapore and get in. And um, I sort of thought, okay, at, I'm at that point in my career where I want to challenge myself and do something a little bit different and. I think the criteria was you sort of you had to be a leading female and have won a group one and all these other things and I thought you yeah. know what I love Singapore I had a couple of stopovers there and 
I used to sit at home when we were younger and watch the Hong Kong and Singapore racing. And I thought, you know, I'd love to ride over there one day. So I thought, okay, I'm just going to apply and see what happens. And I got in and within the next three months I was gone. And, um, you know, we, I had good momentum at the time. Not too sure if um, it was the right move to make, but I have no regret now because I really enjoyed the Singapore stint. How how were your family at the time? Like, so you had that momentum. We just, you know, we know what y- your family's like, especially your dad, who, um, who's who been sort of, you know, is helping you and, and, and you know, uh, been following your career since day dot. Was he sort of in the boat of, yep, jump on the plane? Or was he sort of saying, hey, look, you've, you're going really well here. You're in a great spot. Um, how did that conversation go? Oh, they were absolutely wrapped. I think I got a message early in the morning and the first thing I did was go down to the track and tell, you know, mum and dad that I'd got in because they were there when I was applying for it and they were over the moon. I'm pretty sure dad Fantastic. was a little bit watery-eyed and they said, well, that's good. Hop on the plane and go. Never seen them so happy to, you know, see me go. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, they, they, they know that we're very competitive, um, me and Jason, my sister, and that little challenges like this are always good for us. Singapore, uh, a different world. Uh, we know it's a different world to well, Asian racing is different to, to what we see here in Australia and New Zealand. But it's all about building relationships over there with your your ownership groups uh, more so than than what we see here in Oz, where it's sort of you know building those relationships with the trainers and then trying to jump on the horses those way that way. Yeah, it was kind of fortunate when I went there. I was able to ride light. That's a massive bonus. It's sort of part of the balance where a lot of jockeys over there at the time could only ride heavy and it left a little door of opportunity and I got lucky when I went there for the first couple of meetings I had a couple of placings and a winner and um, to get that momentum for me that was super a super start really Um, getting to know the owners something in New Zealand it's a lot different you've got to be going out for lunches and dinners and being a lot more hands-on and something I wasn't really used to what about that fall? Talk us through the fall, if you don't mind, uh, in Singapore, because I know that we've spoken about it before, but for our listeners, um, it's a yeah, it's, it's horrific, mate. Honestly, yeah, probably, definitely not the most ideal thing to happen, especially when you're over there by yourself with no family. Um, it was a heavy fall. Obviously, I was coming at full speed, about the 300 meters, and. I was just starting to weaken and two horses improved to the inside and outside of me and sandwiched me. Um, I sort of went flying off and look, it was the poly track two, which was quite hard. I think I ended up breaking the L1 calcaneus um, in the heel. So yeah, it wasn't wasn't ideal. I think I spent three weeks in hospital there. They The L1 had sort of been shattered so and had been dispersed everywhere. So they decided to put a few rods in there to stabilize it. Um, it was quite nice though. Mum was over there. She flew over within three days. Plenty of visitors. I don't remember much, but I know I had a couple of visitors because I had chocolates and flowers there. Um, and yeah, I think uh, in the end, my sister, she also came over on week three and she you know, took me back to New Zealand and we had to pack up everything there because I wasn't able to stay there because obviously I wasn't able to do much myself. I sort of needed the helping of a family or someone for the next couple of months. Yeah, so and so, those injuries that you had are they still? Do they still linger sometimes now and then? Like, do you have to maintain, um, you know, physio etc. throughout your career now? It's on the better side of it now. For the first two or three year, 
two, probably two and a half years, as it's only been okay for the last six months. Um, I still find sitting in the car really tightens up the back area where it is sore, but all the scar tissue there is broken up now, and obviously I've had to get the rods taken out because I wasn't able to sort of bend or twist. Uh, to start with, it wasn't ideal. I remember after a year and a bit, I come back riding, and I thought, okay, I probably should have given myself another six months just because I wasn't able to have as much uh, movement and strength through the back area as I wanted to. But now it's completely fine. Um, just on cold mornings, I do notice it tw- twitches a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it does the... Was there an initial fear jumping back on the horse too? For someone that has grown up pretty much on the back of a horse with your family being so entrenched in the game, I mean, when you first jumped back on after that fall and that injury, were you was it, were you scared? No, I was sort of fortunate that it had been that long between the fall and race day riding or hopping on a horse again that it had sort of gone in the back of my mind and I'd forgotten about it. So hopping back on a horse was just second nature and I just enjoyed it straight away and it was fun. Um, I never really got the uh, PDS of it really. It's uh, extraordinary. Um, I don't know how you guys do it because we see people that, that you know, have uh, serious falls and back on they jump and, and, and away they go. Um, obviously, though, it's, it's something that um, is mindful, though. I guess... You can't con- you can't control what's going to happen in a race and what's happening around you, and we see that sometimes when there are race falls. So I mean, it's just some one of those things where you've just got to be careful because if you do damage that again, uh, did doctors say anything about any of that sort of stuff at the time? Like sort of say, oh, don't be doing this again or, or whatnot. Uh, no, they sort of said once you know for a bone purposes, once it's uh, all healed over, it's actually going to be stronger than before. So that was always really nice to hear. But the other side of it is you're such – like for me, I'm such a pushy person where I was like, I'll be fine after six months. I'll ride with the rod in my back. And when the realization come that I won't be able to do that, I sort of thought, okay, I better take my time and make sure it heals properly. So when I go out there, you're not going to have any effects of it being too sore or Mm. falling and, you know, it's not 110% healed. So. That's what the doctor said. You just got to give it time, make sure the bone is strong as possible before you go out there again. How do you go sitting in the one spot? Are you are you someone that can take time and relax, or do you just have to be go go go? Look, even before the accident, I couldn't sit still, and I still can't now. So that explains a little bit. So when you've had sort of recent injuries here in in New South Wales, just from you know various things happening, uh, it's been a punish then. It has, it really has, um, especially like when we're doing that week's isolation, uh, I think I did three or four of them during that COVID time. Um, I don't think I've ever sort of run or done something like that so much. I was just so bored. <laughs> Tell us about coming to New South Wales. And so you just, just also too, so we can, uh, we have the, the timeline, right? So after your four, you went back to New Zealand for a period. Did you then go back? You've gone back to Singapore then? Yes, so I within within about a year and a half, um, I actually worked for Trackside um, in the parade ring. Uh, obviously, what Lizzie Jow used to do, I did that for about eight or nine months in New Zealand, and really enjoyed yep. that. It was the other side of racing, and it was an eye opener to me. Um, it was I really enjoyed it. Actually, it was something completely different to what I was used to. Um, but knowing the horses and uh, knowing the jockeys and the form, it sort of come second nature to me, which was really nice. Yep. Um, and then after that, I just thought, okay, I'll sort of 
do I want to ride again? Yes. Made the comeback. And then within that year and a half, I was back in Singapore and probably a blessing having another year and a half um, under the belt before going back over there. Yeah, and so you're back in Singapore now. And then talk us through the move to New South Wales. I mean, how did that come about and why did you pick to come back to Sydney and, and say not go back to New Zealand? Um, I'm going to blame my partner for that, Luke. Uh, that was his decision. Um, obviously, we'd been together for quite a while over there and, and COVID had um, just sort of kicked off and Singapore had been put into a lockdown and we were sort of spent two weeks in lockdown and there was no racing. And they said to us, look, for another four to six weeks, uh, there's going to be no more racing. And it was only originally going to be two weeks. And we thought, okay, we can't really just sit in an um, apartment building for another, you know, six weeks without doing anything. We said, okay, well, we're going to go. We were originally um, going to wait another six months before sort of hitting over here. Um, and then that really quickened up the whole process. So we packed up, we come here, we spent two weeks in quarantine. And the, I think the reason for coming here is a little bit because Jason's here. Obviously, I've got family here. I've got yeah. friends that live here. Um, Sydney's a sand that I'm used to. Um, it's probably the most state that I racing that I'd known. So... And they thought there was really good opportunities, especially for a female jockey over here too. Yeah, so um, when you arrive and obviously you do that quarantine, I remember initially there was the zones, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think there was the zones and you were placing yourself in maybe that northern zone and it it wasn't like instant success, but once you got into your groove, I think you rode, and this might have been out of quarantine, but I think you rode five one day at Newcastle, which was a great day you had. I think that was on a Saturday and... Obviously, then those opportunities then filter into town at certain points at those lower weight handicaps, etc. Yeah, it's all been a bit of a, well, not really a slow process. It's, we've been here a year and a half um, and things are probably actually, looking back now, happened quite quickly, which is really good. When we first got here, I decided to go into the southern region. Um, so I think we were only racing whenever those meetings were on was probably what two or three times a week of that. And uh, I didn't. Really, I didn't know many trainers here and didn't have many connections. I'm sort of lucky lucky that I had a manager that, like Sean Flaherty, what he did with me early doors is really good, trying to get me those rides and rides and ringing trainers because they probably had no idea who I was. Um, like I hadn't been riding here for, what, seven years since I was an apprentice. Yep. Um, so they're probably thinking, all right. She was a terrible apprentice, so why would I want to put her on as a senior? So <laughs> I'm imagining like trying to you know, refresh their mind to that I can ride. I do have a little bit of ability that really played cards the first sort of six or seven months. Was it daunting getting back into that Sydney uh, jocks room? Not so much on a regular basis because you are still sort of, you know, building connections here and there. But when you do arrive at Randwick or Rose Hill, I mean, that room um, for male and female is probably the best in the world. It is. It's very competitive. Um, there's not many doorways open for new people to arrive either because everyone that's up the top there, you know, your top 10, 15, they've been there for the past oh, 15 to 20 years. So understanding. Um, so any small opportunity is a good opportunity. Aramayo, nearly won an Epsom. Yeah, it would have been nice if we won, but I'll take second. That's good enough. That that day, I know you were you were confident leading into it, and they're the sort of opportunities that you will pick up being uh, being able to ride light in those sort of big handicap races. And I mean, we've got championships upcoming where we're going to have you know um, 
Doncasters and Sydney Cups and Metropolitans, etc. And that's where those opportunities may arise for you. Yeah, yes, I'm really hoping so. It's something that I can ride light. There's not many, you know, jockeys here that can. And I've sort of had the exposure, you know, riding in, what, four or five different countries at elite level and the highest level in those countries. So, you know, coming here and being able to get opportunities, like it would have been obviously ideal if Aramo won that day. Um, but second's good enough in my mind. Uh, so any opportunity that I can get with a little bit of ability and the right type of horse to win those races, especially too, um, you sort of got to meet the right criteria for that race um, to be an ideal lightweight chance. I want to take you back to what you said before about uh, that you saw there an opportunity for a a female jockey here in New South Wales. What do you mean by that? When you were, um, when you were picking picking Sydney as your destination point. Well, it was more so all of Australia. They are accepting of female jockeys. Um, obviously, in Singapore, I was the only female jockey there. Um, I'd been to. In between hand, when I was in Singapore, I sort of went over to Korea to ride one day. I was the only female there. Um, and in Mongolia, a couple of other countries I've been to, I was the only ever female. So Australia was really, obviously, we, they are accepting of female jockeys here, uh, same as New Zealand. So just in general, New South Wales, it's uh, a good opportunity for a female too. What was it like being the only female rider there in Singapore? Very quiet. <laughs> Very, very quiet. Um, obviously, you have your own jockey's room and you're pretty isolated the whole time, but it sort of, you, you blend it in with the males in the jockey's room. You have your common room. That was sort of the only place you could go and talk. Otherwise, yeah, it was actually quite lonely and boring. It's, it's, it's also quite daunting as well. It is, but um, the male jockeys aren't. You know, they weren't rude about it ever. They weren't saying, oh, you're a female or weak. They were always yep. really accepting of it, so it was good. And what about uh, here in the country? I mean, um, you're not old. You're, you've still got plenty of time in your career left. But from where – I mean, New Zealand always uh, has been um, a place where we've seen female jockeys at the top of the tree. We've seen Sam, Trudy, etc. I speak of like Trudy Thornton, um, uh, Sam, uh, Sam Spratt, uh, Danielle Johnson. So, I mean – here, though, it's sort of been not so much a, a recent phenomenon, but we've seen the likes of, you know, your Jamie Cars, yourself, Rachel King, um, here in, in Sydney, riding at that uh, that high metropolitan level. Do you think it's something that um, has changed, that there's, there was a stigma and now that has changed? I think the stigma in New Zealand changed a long time ago. Um, we have very strong female riders and... You probably, if you put them in a, in a room, you wouldn't want to mess with the females over the males, that's for certain. Um, <laughs> uh, and in Australia, that's definitely changing. Um, and there's a lot more female apprentices now. Like, I think they just had the racing um, Victoria, you know, their apprentice apprentice lot that just come through. And I think there might have been five out of the seven of them were apprentice, mm. apprentices were girls. So that's fantastic to see. Like, there's so many more opportunities and so many more girls getting opportunities uh, and showing that they can do it. Yeah, I think there's also a number of females uh, and young girls in that, uh, that course up in Scone. Of course, they've, they've got the, the, the TAFE uh, course up there for people not just wanting to be maybe a jockey, but just be involved in the racing game. What would you say to someone out there listening to this right now, male or female, that wants to get into race riding, that wants to be an apprentice jockey? Why should they do it, Alicia? It's fun. 
it gives you a it's fun it's gives you a good opportunity to learn a lot meet great people ride for great trainers there's so many opportunities you can be whatever level you want to be you can be terrible you can be good you can be really good um it's just how much time and effort you want to put in um but it does it's a really fulfilling job and last but not least if we're to read your autobiography in 20 years time 30 years time of your career you've obviously already achieved a lot by you know i think that uh, you know, obviously your Group One victories. Uh, the fact that I think that's a massive, uh, a massive coup that you were the only female rider there in Singapore, and and I think that hopefully might change for the future, where there'll be more female riders that you know travel to Singapore, and and who knows how um, Asian riding will go. Uh, also with Hong Kong, you know, you don't know what's around the corner. So, what are some of the milestones and things you want to achieve, and what would you like us to read about in that twenty, thirty years time about Alicia Collett? I haven't really got much set in stone here, Dave. <laughs> Look, I'd really love to get that group one here. Um, second's just not quite good enough, and that's something that's really high in the priority list. And Look, I'm sort of a person, I wouldn't mind chasing a premiership one year too. Um, that's just something that I know that I'd get a lot of satisfaction out, but I know it's going to take a lot of driving, a lot of Ks and a lot of hours, but... Look, there might be something in the goal, sitting stone for the goals and, and riding other states as well. That's something I could really look forward to doing. Well, it's uh, it's all ahead of you. I really appreciate the chat uh, you've had with me this morning on Monday's Experts. Alicia Collett, well done. That wasn't too bad, was it? No, I just hate talking about myself. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry, I had Pikey on last week and he's going, oh, please tell me when this is going to be broadcast because I don't want to hear myself, mate. So it's all right. Did he don't... really? <laughs> he did, he did. He's, he's, a, he's, he's a gem, Pikey. He's a gem. Oh, so that's gold. I appreciate you joining us, Alicia, and have a good day. Thank you.